Welcome, welcome, welcome to another great episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I am your host, Steve Lowry, and I'm joined by the wonderful two co-hosts and soon-to-be president and vice president of the society, Miss Emma and Mr. Garrett. Hey, Steve. How are you? I am doing great. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. Oh, I'm good. Happy to be here. (laughs) Glad to have you here, brother. Um, Well, this week's episode, we're going to be having a very, very special guest, um, somebody who is very near and dear to the heart of both the Crim Law Society, the SBA, and Baylor Law as a whole, Miss Peyton Maddox. Uh, Peyton graduated, I guess, what, last last May, right, Peyton? Yeah, April of uh, 2022. Yeah, yeah, and has uh, been having a great experience in practice. Um, has been clerking for Judge Newell of the Criminal Court of Appeals in Austin and just generally kicking butt, taking names in practice. So we're really, really glad to have her on the podcast uh, this week. I'm happy to be here. But uh, with that, Peyton, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit further and just talk about um, basically where you are now uh, beyond the 30,000 foot view that I've uh, jumped on and um, just that sort of thing, I guess, but I'll let you take it away. Yeah, no, I can absolutely do that. So as you mentioned, I graduated in April of 2022. Uh, I studied for the bar and then I moved to Austin. And I just now um, in September started my job with Judge David Newell on the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which, as you all probably know, is the highest court of criminal court in Texas. Um, It's a sister court to the Texas Supreme Court, and it has exclusive jurisdiction over criminal matters in the state of Texas. And so my position now is a law clerk or briefing attorney. They kind of use those positions interchangeably. And I work in the chamber of Judge David Knowles. And um, we just, uh, I've just been hitting the ground running and reading opinions and writing and researching. And that is basically my life for the next year. Wow, that sounds really interesting. It seems like you've been enjoying it so far. Oh, yeah, I am absolutely loving it. I learn things every single day that I just I had never even heard those words before. And I get to learn them every single day. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Well, typically, we like to kind of start off asking what your story was a little bit. So, you know, what led up to you deciding to go to law school and your experience in law school? And then obviously, you've already covered a little bit of what you've done since. But yeah, absolutely. So I graduated from undergrad at Texas A&M University. I started out college thinking I was going to be a doctor and um, chemistry soon became my Achilles heel and made me realize that that was not exactly a feasible option. And so I, my first semester of college, I took a philosophy class. And at that point in time, I really thought that I was a very sciencey person. I thought I liked a right and a wrong answer. And I took one philosophy class and all of that kind of changed. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun, like, like learning how to think outside the box and being okay with there never just being one right answer and being able to advocate. And so I ended up switching from a neuroscience degree to a psychology degree with a minor in philosophy. So a a bit of a 180 there. And um, I decided right then and there that I was going to go to law school because I still liked the idea of furthering my education. And um, so once I graduated from Texas A&M, I started at Baylor Law in 2019. Awesome. Yeah. So um, what made you choose Baylor? 
I knew that I wanted to be in Texas. I knew that um, Texas had a great legal market. My family is here. I just didn't really have too much of a reason to leave. So I stayed mostly in Texas when I was looking at my options. And I'm a first generation college student and law student. So I truly had no idea what were good ones or bad ones. So I really just had to rely on asking people for recommendations and what the reputations were around Texas. And any lawyer that I came across that I asked where to go, even if they didn't go to Baylor or if they did, they always said that Baylor attorneys were very well prepared. And as a first generation college student and law student, like I said, I wanted to be sure to be somewhere that I was going to be prepared because I uh, I had really no like legal background whatsoever. So I wanted to make sure that I was somewhere that I would feel uh, ready to roll once I graduated. So I'm a uh, first generation law student as well. Going into, or I guess I'm in my second year now. Um, what sort of advice do you have for some of the younger people going into law school as first generation law students? Yeah, I would say um, talking to as many people as you can, um, like as many practicing attorneys as you can. It can be a little bit difficult whenever you first start out in law school and everybody had already started reading books about law school, like like the Getting to Maybe book and lots of other ones that I had never heard of in my life. And I just, I already felt like I was a little bit behind and I was a little scared about that, um, you know, because I had friends who had attorney parents and so they had kind of been around the jargon and that sort of thing. Um, and so I just, I made an effort to find as many mentors as I could just to be able to talk law, talk career options later on and um, and I've never met a Baylor lawyer who didn't want to sit and chat with you and be your mentor. Um, they're always very excited to help out. And so I would just really say to try to reach out as much as possible, as awkward and scary as that can kind of seem sometimes. No, I think that's great. Um, I kind of did that same thing in my first quarter where I actually met with Professor Alpert and sat down, talked about criminal law and everything. And he kind of paved the way to where I am now um, in my first quarter. So I think it's great to make contacts early on. And um, yeah. And I definitely agree with making contact with Professor Alpert. I didn't get to really get to know him until I did the criminal law boot camp in my second year. And, but he has just been an amazing mentor and guidance um, throughout my time. Cause I always knew I was going to go the criminal law route. Um, but the uh, the criminal law boot camp was my favorite experience in law school. And so being able to get to know Professor Alpert through that and everything that I learned in the criminal law boot camp was just incredible. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's been filling up every quarter, so I haven't gotten into it yet, but I'm I'm hoping that I'll get it in the spring here. Yeah, I hope you do too. So you mentioned that you've you know always wanted to do the criminal route. Um where did that kind of start, I guess? Was that, you know, before you got into law school or just kind of right from the beginning of law school? So I worked at a criminal defense firm as a runner in um, an undergrad at in a firm in Bryan. And I really just did it because it was the only law firm that I saw that was hiring like someone to get some experience in the legal field. And I just, I found it really interesting. It also kind of goes back to being a first generation college student. I came in truly thinking that like everybody was like half and half, like civil or criminal law. Like I had no idea that criminal was like such a like minority within the like legal world and that most people go into law school to go into civil. And so I just thought like, well, it's, it seems fun. It's what I've seen on TV. I didn't really know that there were, I mean, I didn't know that there was sports law and entertainment law and the, all of these things. So I just kind of thought that it was civil or criminal. And I thought 
criminal sounded fun. I liked my time as a runner at the criminal defense firm, you know, it's juicy. Um, and, but whenever I was watching trials and things like that, I always kind of found myself wanting to be more on the prosecution side. And I loved the attorneys that I worked with at the defense firm. I just, I liked the idea of, um, you know, fighting for victims. And I decided that that was where I was going to go. And I actually kind of, I changed my mind for a little bit in the middle of law school. I thought maybe I hadn't explored all my options yet. And so I did do a civil summer where I worked at a tax and estate planning firm for half of the summer and then a civil litigation firm. And those were really great experiences and they opened my eyes to lots of different areas of the law, but it also kind of solidified for me that criminal was where I wanted to end up. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm also first generation law student. So it's funny, all three of us are. Um, yeah, your experience at that defense firm, um, what was that like? You know, would uh, did you like really find that a valuable experience to see that side of it? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it was the first time that I'd ever was able to see real trials. I was able to see kind of the um, the business side of the firm, you know, like people coming in and um, and meeting and, and making payments and this and that. And that was kind of something that I had never really thought of, of the, you know, like running the business side of a law firm. And I was able to just kind of start learning a little bit of the legal jargon. Like I didn't, I had never really heard what like battery was before or anything like that. And so there were just little things that I would catch on to, but I truly wasn't able to get too deep into the legal stuff just because, um, you know, I was still an undergrad and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, but it was really good to make those connections with those criminal defense attorneys. And we're still, um, you know, Facebook friends and uh, we still catch up and everything. So it was it was definitely good to start building my network. So out of your clerkship, are you considering doing more like defense work then as well? Or are you considering prosecution? As of right now, I expect to be going into prosecution specifically on at the appellate level. So I would work, um, I would like to go to a major DA's office somewhere in Texas. I'm looking at a couple different ones. Um, I kind of have my options open right now. But uh, my clerkship being at, you know, court of last resort, I've been just dealing with all appellate criminal law and I have found it really fascinating. And I, um, I like it a lot more than I thought I would. You know, I th it, it sounds kind of boring whenever you're sitting around like talking about like legal research, but you still have the fun criminal facts. You still have the really meaningful ways that you can make change. And I think that appellate prosecution is something that I would be able to do and be in a position to be able to affect more positive change just because um, you're able to you're able to look at what happened in a trial from a bird's eye view. You know, you're not in that game time decision mode and you're able to really um, do like the research and make sure that everything ended up going right. Yeah, that's great. Um, I personally don't know a lot about the appellate level of criminal law. I feel like when you talk a lot about criminal law, you hear a lot more about the trial level and everything. Um, do you mind kind of going through like a nuts and bolts of the appellate level and sort of like your job at the appellate level right now? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. So whenever you come from a trial, and a defendant is convicted, there are two different paths that they can go to appeal their conviction. So the first one is what you'd be more uh, familiar with, which would be a direct appeal. And so a direct appeal will handle anything that um, that went wrong at trial, stuff that's within the trial record, like, for instance, issues with a jury charge or something like that would be a direct appeal that would that the defendant would take to the court of appeals, which is any of the intermediate courts. I think there's 14 in Texas. 
And um, so they would do a direct appeal to them. And then if the defendant loses again, or, um, you know, of course, the, the state can also do appeals, but we're going from the defendant's perspective here. Um, if the defendant lost at the appellate level, they would be able to file a petition for discretionary review with our Court of Criminal Appeals. And so we are able to look at those petitions for discretionary review. They can do it pro se or with counsel and determine if it is a legal issue that is something that would make sense for us to take on. And we take into consideration things like, is there a split among the Court of Appeals? Um, is it a legal issue that could affect a lot of other cases and defendants, or is it really like a niche fact specific thing that um, we would be able to give more deference to the Court of Appeals and trial court? And so as far as the petitions for discretionary review go, I'm in my position, I help my judge review those. And I make a recommendation to him as to whether I think that he should vote for or against the petition for discretionary review to grant it. And then if we grant it, we're able to um, the court takes the case, it gets assigned to a judge, and then they write an opinion and um, are able to either affirm or deny the Court of Appeals. And so then um, the other branch, sorry, that was very long winded. The other branch that you can take that a defendant can take are uh, appealing via writs. And so you, you're probably familiar with a writ of habeas corpus. And you may have heard of it before. Um, writs Whenever a defendant appeals via writs, it's something that's outside of the record. It's not something that could have been taken up on direct appeal. Um, and you'll find a bunch of cases that repeatedly say a writ is not a replace for an appeal. Um, so writs are usually something that you would do if there's newly found evidence way later. Um, you know, like that, that couldn't have been taken up on direct appeal because that wasn't available to them at that time. Um, actual innocence claims are usually done through that. So if somebody in the jailhouse later confesses to the murder that you were convicted of, uh, you would be able to file a writ of actual innocence using this newly found evidence. Um, and so the, uh, the writs and the PDR uh, pathways are, they're very different and um, they're handled differently. Uh, whenever writs get all the way up to the court of appeals or to the court of criminal appeals where I work, those aren't typically written on. They sometimes can be, but they're not usually um, lengthy legal opinions um, where the judges are going through the law and stuff. Writs are usually a lot more factually, um, they're a lot more like a factual inquiry. And that's not to say that we don't ever write on them because we definitely do sometimes, but um, it's most likely just going to be a, a grant or denial of relief. And if someone does write on it, it's usually a concurrence or a dissent. That's really interesting. Thank you for, you know, explaining all of that. Um, I definitely didn't know it. I don't know about Garrett, but. Um, yeah. Oh, you're good. I, I didn't know any, I didn't know a lot of this until I uh, started at, at this job. So I definitely understand. And I hope I did that justice. I know that was a bit of a mouthful. No, it definitely, definitely made sense. Um, so what kind of, I guess, is your daily life like? Um, I guess kind of what's the ratio to of reading to writing to research? Like, I guess, kind of what do you do the most of? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that most of my job is reading. Every judge has a different system for how their chambers works. So our chambers, um, we have an executive assistant, we have a briefing attorney slash law clerk, which is me, and then we have a research attorney. And the research attorney is typically um, 
a more seasoned attorney, they usually come back. You don't like really go straight into that. You do it after you've been in defense or prosecution for a while. Um, and so they're usually the, like the seasoned perspective. And then the clerk or the briefing attorney is kind of the like the fresh out of law school perspective. There's not really like a hierarchy, at least within our chambers. It's really just like a collaborative process between uh, me and the briefing or me and the research attorney. And so what my judge likes us to spend a lot of our time on is reading opinions that are being circulated throughout the court. So that will be if a, you know, a petition for discretionary review has already been granted. And that means that it's been assigned to a judge and the judge's chambers are working on uh, writing up an opinion and doing all the research for it. Once they have a draft of those opinions, they circulate them to the judges. And we, this is a, it's a weekly process where, um, each week, the judges meet for conference to discuss the opinions, and um, the conference is completely confidential. Not even the clerks or briefing attorneys are allowed in there. It's just a truly um, just the judges, and they give opinions. They say what they would like to change. They discuss why they would want to dissent, concur, what they would like to see changed. And so in order to prepare my judge for conference every week, uh, the research attorney and I work together to read every opinion that's being circulated. Sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's two or three. It just depends, you know, where people are in their uh, writing process. And so we read them all. We write summaries of them for our judge, just because even though he reads everything, it's good for him to kind of read how we have summarized the things so that he can see what we felt were important and what we picked up on that he might have like kind of glazed over or vice versa. And so that's a big part of my week. I would say that's what I spend most of my time doing. And then the other parts would be we typically, whenever we have opinions assigned to us, we typically have, I think each court typically has around 10 assigned to them at a certain time where they're working on them uh, throughout the time that they're working on them. And so whenever we're assigned to a case, our judge will um, assign maybe me or the research attorney with specific questions to research. And that way we can start kind of getting um, my our judge up on the law, up on the research, look at this case, this is where the courts of appeals are at. And so we can begin to draft some things for the judge to look at based on our research. And we typically have a few opinions just on the back burner at any given time that we will work on and do research on um, time permitting uh, in between all of our weekly duties. And then the only other weekly duty that uh, we do in our chambers would be uh, me and the research attorney. We review the petitions for discretionary review, which I uh, touched on earlier. And that's when we um, are able to recommend to our judge whether to grant, deny, hold for a different opinion and kind of explain why we think um, he should do so. Oh, that's awesome. That was a great kind of inside look to what you would do as a law clerk. Um, and I know that those positions are really coveted by a lot of law students. And it's something that a lot of people, you know, really want, you know, from the beginning of law school, they say, oh, I want to be a clerk when I graduate. Um, so do you have any, I guess, tips or nuggets of advice for law students who want to be a clerk and, you know, what that process was like for you applying to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So most people, whenever they're looking into clerkships in law school, they're looking into federal clerkships, whether it be with a magistrate judge or with a district judge, a U.S. district judge. Um, but there are clerkships at the state level, but they're the most common ones that people seek 
out are the Texas Supreme Court clerkships and then the Court of Criminal Appeals clerkships. And um, and those and all clerkships are really a great experience in their own ways. Um, our clerkships are a lot different than what a district judge or a magistrate judge clerk would be working on because those are trial levels, you know. Um, and the only other opportunity you would have to work at a court of last resort, like I'm getting the opportunity to, would be like the United States Supreme Court. So it's a very different, um, you get a very different volume of cases. You get a lot more time to work on things at a court of last resort, you know, because I mean, it's, it's all research. It's all making sure that it gets right. Um, I know that um, appeals judges are usually poked fun at by trial judges because they say that the appeals judges have months to determine a question that the trial judge had to make in one minute or two minutes. And so it's, it's a very different um, environment, but I think it's a, it's a really great opportunity to get to see at the appellate level, how the law ends up being made because it, it is the final law of the land, except unless the uh, Supreme court of the United States accepts a, um, that would be a writ of certiorari um, from us. And which, which is also a really cool thing because I haven't gotten to work on any cases yet. Um, that did go up to the United States Supreme Court, but I've read a couple that have come down um, about us. And it's just, it's really crazy that like I could potentially work on research that Justice Sotomayor could read <laughs> something, obviously, and not the opinion itself, but um, that a clerk could have a hand in that is a really cool thing. And so um, to answer your question about um how to go about getting a clerkship, I would definitely take all those things into consideration, whether you would like to work at an appeals level or if you'd like to work at the trial court level, because both have great pros and cons. Um, in addition to that, the federal system has the, the Oscar system where people are able to apply for federal clerkships through that portal. Um, not all federal judges use it. Some of them do, some of them don't. But to my knowledge, there's nothing like that for state clerkships. Uh, every state agency, like the Supreme Court of Texas and the Court of Criminal Appeals, um, have their own hiring process. And so you just have to go to the website, kind of see what the hiring process looks like. Most judges just hire until they get a clerk. They don't all hire at once. Um, and you do apply to individual judges. You can't just like send an application to the whole court. So on that note, if you are thinking about perhaps doing a Court of Criminal Appeals clerkship, I would really suggest looking at the website, learning about the judges, reading opinions that are coming out right now, um, seeing which judges' philosophies you might agree with more. Um, and that's not to say that you have to work with a judge who uh, you agree with on everything, but it's it, it can help build a connection between you and the judge. And if you're applying and you just you truly think, wow, like that was a really cool opinion. If you're able to talk about that in your interview or in your cover letter, I feel like that would really help make you stand out and also just kind of give you an idea of what's going through the court at the time so that you can make sure that that's the right path for you. So we've it's obvious that, you know, you love your job. It seems pretty clear that you really do. So um, I guess what is kind of your biggest takeaway from having had that job, like the biggest lesson you've learned that you think you'll carry um, into a future career as, you know, a prosecutor or a defense attorney or wherever you end up? I would say my biggest takeaway is is mostly just kind of a sense of comfort after working at the court where I've seen how much thought and how many eyes go on to everything, how much thought goes into every single opinion that is written. We have a central staff 
that it are is like just their permanent staff attorneys. I think there's about 10 or so, maybe 10 to 15 of them that work on the court um, full time. They don't come and go. And so every single thing that comes up to this court is filtered through by them uh, at the very beginning. And they're able to do extensive research and give recommendations before they even get to our chambers, which is, of course, like I discussed, is looked over by the research attorneys and the briefing attorneys and law clerks and the judges, of course. And so I'd say it's just it's it's very comforting to know um, that there are just so many bright legal minds working towards every single question that comes up to the Court of Criminal Appeals, because um, obviously, the Court of Criminal Appeals handles a lot of very important stuff. Um, death penalty cases are um, they're appealed directly to us um, after any death penalty conviction. So there's an there's an entire section of our central staff devoted to those. And so it's just it's very comforting to know that so many people are there and researching and making sure that everything gets done right. Yeah, that's awesome. That is comforting to know, even you know someone who's not necessarily involved in it yet. So you've graduated from law school you've you know you made it through um i guess as far as law school goes do you have any advice for you know garrett and i neither of us have entered practice court yet so do you have advice for going into that and just kind of getting through that last stretch of law school i I would always say to myself during law school or doing practice court specifically that the only way out is through and even though that sounds a little negative it honestly kind of was a positive outlook to me because it was just I'm, I have to get through this. I have to do this. And the only way that I can get my law degree is by getting through this. And so it just, it kind of helped me keep my eye on the prize and remember why I came there. And I will say specifically, practice court taught me a lot about litigation. I will be, if I do end up going in the trial route, um, becoming a trial prosecutor for a little bit before I become an appellate prosecutor, which is likely I will have amazing courtroom skills that I would not have had had I not been in practice court. And even at the appellate level, I'll have my moot court experience from Baylor to um, help me for oral arguments if that day ever comes. And so just keeping your eye on the prize and understanding that you are being prepared for what you're doing and specifically for people going into criminal law. Um, it can be really easy during practice court to get a little bit discouraged because it is very civil focused. And so I would say as far as that goes, even though you know that you will probably never use your that civil experience in your life, which I, I truly don't think that I will, but um, I was able to just take that, learn what I needed to do. You never know whenever you will need that knowledge and just really hone in on the stuff that I knew that I'll be using every single day, like evidence um, and and just all of your advocacy skills. So just focusing on what you know you will need for your toolbox later on and then just truly working hard to get through the rest, but not getting too discouraged because everything does end up shaping you to be a good lawyer. Were you able to do the um, criminal trials during PC? I did. I did. And that was uh, a really great experience. Most of my classmates thought that we were crazy because if you do the criminal trial for PC, you have to do two trials. You have to do the criminal one and the civil one. And so most people were just like, why on earth would you do that? And me and my practice court partner, who is now a defense attorney up in Plano, um, we were just like, well, this is what we came for. This is what we we have to do. You know, we um, we came here to become criminal lawyers and litigators and even though a lot of the skills and knowledge transfer over between civil and criminal, we knew that it would just be 
invaluable experience. And we would be the only prosecutors or defense attorneys at our firm or our DA's office that had actually gone through a criminal trial before even graduating law school. And so uh, that was amazing and 100 percent worth it. And especially just the guidance that you get from Professor Alpert during the criminal trial is worth all of practice court over and over again. And I can't believe I would say that because probably a few months ago, I would be like, no. (laughs) But yeah, it's definitely a valuable experience that you can't get anywhere else. Um, So Baylor is a good place to be. Um, Absolutely. And I will say on on the note of um, getting the best, the most out of practice court, I was very assured in my choices. My 1L summer, whenever I interned at the Tarrant County District Attorney's Office, And the current district attorney there, um, her name is Sharon Wilson. She uh, welcomed all of us interns our first day, and she asked us to raise our hands for which law school we went to in Texas. You know, know, people would raise their hand for tech, for Texas, um, A&M, Baylor. And once me and one other woman uh, raised our hand for Baylor, uh, she just she kind of sighs and laughs and she goes, oh, thank God. She goes, it's just so much easier whenever we get people who have gone through that practice court thing. And and she didn't even go to Baylor Law. And so that was really comforting for me to know that someone who didn't even go to Baylor Law, doesn't really know what the practice court totally entails, knew that the attorneys that came out of that were much better prepared to be misdemeanor prosecutors right out of law school. And that really helped um, get me through, you know, kind of the slump after the first year of law school. I was like, oh, we got two more years. This is, I guess, is going to be hard. Like, we're still not even halfway done. And that kind of helped me be really assured in my choice. Yeah, that's awesome. So what were those internship experiences like? So I would recommend doing a district attorney internship to anyone who's even kind of interested in criminal law, even if you think you'll only want to do defense, or even if you think that criminal law is just something that you might want to do, especially your 1L year, because it can be really hard to find civil internships your 1L year, especially ones that are paid or anything like that. And so um, if you can get an opportunity to intern at a district attorney's office. They're almost always hiring interns. They usually have pretty robust intern programs at the bigger cities. And you'll get to see a lot of trial, a lot of uh, just the nuts and bolts of the criminal justice system. The uh, district attorneys, the assistant district attorneys would take me into um, their little conference room where they would uh, talk to the defense attorneys on the other side of the docket. Uh, about the cases that they were working on. And you're able to kind of see, you know, like for lack of a better term, like how the sausage is made. You're able to see what goes into um, how much a prosecutor offers for a plea bargain. If they just say, we're going to take this to trial, we don't have enough to take this to trial. And um, that was an invaluable experience and really helped solidify my desire to go into the prosecution world as well, just because I saw so many amazing prosecutors there at the Tarrant County DA's office just really fighting for justice and fighting for victims. And it was just, uh, it was a really inspiring place to be. So um, we've heard a lot about how different size offices have, you know, different environments and Tarrant County, that one's a pretty big office, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. So what was that environment like, you know, being in a really big office and have you experienced a really small office as well or a smaller one? So I would say the experience at a big office like Tarrant County um, would be that they're is typically a lot of um, room for training. There's a lot of levels. They usually have a good system for you start in misdemeanor and then you work your way up to this, you work your way up to this. 
you, um, the Tarrant County District Attorney's Office, as well as other big ones, have a lot of specific sections that a uh, once you make out make it up to felony, they might move you into a like a special division. For instance, there's a, you know a homicide division, there's an adult sexual assault division, there's an intimate partner violence division, where you uh, would be promoted or just moved to somewhere where you'd be a highly specialized prosecutor working on a certain set of cases which has a lot of benefits, especially for a big county where you, you know, you have people who are just becoming absolute experts on this one specific topic. Um, and so that's a really great thing that a lot of people like. They like the structure, they like the hierarchy, and there's a lot of oversight at places like that. And then um, as far as smaller district attorneys offices go, I've talked to a lot of attorneys about them. Um, I haven't worked at one specifically, but as far as I know, you know, the pros of it is that you often get to work on stuff a lot sooner than you might at a bigger uh, district attorney's office. They might have you working on felony cases sooner. They might have you in trial a little bit sooner. And so it's really all about what you want um, out of your very beginning experience. I don't really think you can go wrong, in my opinion, because I'm kind of actually at that stage right now where I'm considering where I'll go after my clerkship. And there's always the opportunity between, you know, big one, big offices and small offices. And there's just, it's a long-winded way of saying that there are great pros and cons for both. Um, and so you really just have to look at what's right for you. Um, and I just personally think I might end up wanting to live in a bigger city. And so I might just not even really have to make that decision. I'll just pick where I want to live first and then pick the office next. It's really just, uh, it all just depends a lot, but uh, but knowing the differences between the big offices and the small offices, I think, is really important before you go into prosecution. Yeah, definitely. Professor Alpert is one of the people who's really emphasized that, and Mrs. Tobin, of course. Um, so earlier you mentioned maybe going directly into the appellate division of a DA's office um, after your clerkship. So is that something that is, um, I guess, fairly typical for people to do, or do you need to have like experience like yours in order to go kind of directly into a division like that and not necessarily go the trial route first? Um, from my understanding, it is pretty typical um, for any DA's office to have everybody start at the misdemeanor level. Or if you're in a county that has a county DA's office that does um, misdemeanors, then for instance, like Bryan College Station, um, that county, you can go straight to felony because their district attorney's office starts at felony because they have a, a county attorney's office that hand handles misdemeanors. Um, usually you will start in trial. Um, I do know of a few people specifically who have clerked at the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals that have gone straight into appellate prosecution. So it really depends on the availability within the DA's office specifically to see if they have an opening. And I do believe that you would need some sort of experience like what I have. Um, I haven't heard of anybody going straight into appeals without that kind of experience. I'm sure it's not totally um, impossible, but I would imagine that you would uh, be asked to go straight to uh, trial first. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, it looks like we're unfortunately starting to run a little short on time, um, but is there any, you know, any particular wisdom you wanted to share or any, you know, parting words you have, any last pieces of advice? I would just say, especially for people who are um, considering criminal versus civil and they're kind of, you know, teetering on that line. Um, it sounds a little bit cliche, but I'd say, you know, follow your heart, like follow what you truly think. 
um, is best for you. There's never there's never a time where you're stuck anywhere. And so you, you can always change your mind. You can always decide to go there. I know um, some people have just known that they didn't want to go and straight into prosecution because the government jobs don't pay as much and they've gone into civil right off the bat and they just haven't really loved it. And they decided that the money wasn't worth it to be doing something that they didn't love. And so just take those things into consideration and just um, follow what you, you truly know what you want to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Peyton. I think everybody who's listening will have learned a lot from you and, and possibly a new career path that they wouldn't have heard of previously. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, this has been another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. Um, thanks for joining. Thanks for joining.